So uh, do you, you ever find yourself really angry? Do you ever find yourself thinking, I really just need to give this person a piece of my mind and really let them have it? If they weren't so stupid and they understood what I understand, then the world would be a better place or my family would be a better place or our relationship would be a better place. Can anybody relate to that, that type of feeling of anger? If you can't, you're lying. And if you can't, you're, you're human and you're in the right place this morning. So we, we have this desire to really share, sometimes very quickly, many times online, uh, our immediate anger and reactions and response to some things. Uh, and um, it, a lot of times it doesn't go well. Yeah, thanks. And um, so when, when, we're, when we're thinking about this issue of anger and, and the, its potential to be really destructive, it, it, it makes me recall just some recent situations in my life. So uh, the other day, uh, Becky and I were having a discussion and we were talking about uh, what, how many chicken nuggets Benjamin could eat. And, uh, and, and we, we disagreed about that and I, I felt some anger about that. And, and uh, uh, you know, a lot of times, not this time, but a lot of times, we'll be arguing passionately, spiritedly about really important things like who is the one who started the argument we're having or yeah, should Benjamin have one more chicken nugget or you know, just really important stuff. And uh, a lot of times she'll have to tell me, you're, you're getting louder, you need to lower your voice. And I'm thinking, I'm not louder, I'm just, you know, I'm just passionate, right? And, um, and she's like, no, you're loud and I'm not gonna keep talking to you if you, if you don't lower your voice. And, and I guess somewhere inside of me, I think like, if I get louder, then maybe I will be heard. Anybody relate to that? Thank you, Josh. It's maybe if I get a little bit louder, then, then maybe the person will hear me. And it's funny the amount of things that I want to be heard on in my relationship with my wife that I would never get so angry and passionate about if I didn't know the person or the situation that well. So I, a couple weeks ago, some thieves cut out a part of the bottom of my car called the catalytic converter. And this is the second time my truck has been vandalized since I got it because uh, in, in, I've had it for less than a year. And the reason I have a truck is because a neighbor of mine was negligent and didn't take care of a dying tree. And so that tree fell onto my car. So my car gets crushed, I get a truck, then the truck gets vandalized twice in a row. But you know what's interesting is I wasn't that angry when my truck got vandalized. I wasn't that angry that it was going to cost the amount of money that it, that it was. And part of the reason is because I've grown in how I deal with my anger and I was able to reflect and think about the circumstances and why someone would decide to steal that part out of my car. And that gave me some empathy and understanding. But the other part of it was because the, those thieves, I didn't know them. I didn't know, I didn't know who they were. They weren't somebody who really mattered a lot to me in my life. And so I found that my response was really different. In this passage, there's a lot of admonition 
around anger and, and what does it look like and how do you become slow to become angry and slow to speak and that that is a good thing to do. But what's, what's interesting to me about anger, at least in my experience, is that I seem to be able to feel more of it when it's somebody close to me. And I think that can give us a clue to the complexity and the density of the feeling of anger. I think, it's, I think it's more complicated and it deserves some time to really talk about and flesh out. So that's what we're gonna do for the remainder of our time in this sermon. We're gonna explore anger. And, and how is it similar to other things like rage, but different? And also, what can we do with our anger? What, how, what are the positive and even righteous and tempered expressions that we can have about anger. So I want to draw you back to the text. We're going to focus on these verses for the majority of the time, verses 19 through 21. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So quick to listen. What does that mean? What does it mean to be quick to listen and slow to speak? What does that have to do with anger? Thank you, Josh. Definitely has to do with your, your instinctual responses. So I want you to imagine this scenario. Have you ever been listening to somebody talk? And as they're talking, you find yourself folding your arms and then kind of like gritting your teeth and then putting your, having to sit on your hands because you're getting so upset about what you hear them saying and you really just want to interrupt them and bring correction to what it is that they're saying that's making you so angry. Anybody? Yeah, ever? Trying to do all three of those at the same time? My wife raised her hand really high. I wonder who she was thinking about. Um, <laughs> but then there's some people that, that they, seem, they seem to be able to hear and receive just about anything and they don't look angry. And you're like, oh, well, some people struggle with anger and some people don't. Some people can just remain calm. They, they, we don't know what their secret is, but they do it. You know, like, seems like when I think about, you know, Jesus and Gandhi and MLK and Cesar Chavez, it's like, no matter what happens, they seem to not get angry. But I want to submit to you this morning, it's not that they aren't angry, but it's that they know what to do with the anger as they experience it. They're not immediately shooting that anger out into the world, but they've learned how when they feel something, to orient it within themselves, to inventory their feelings before they find it necessary to bring that out into the world. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? So this idea that James is putting forth of being quick to listen and slow to speak, uh, I, I want to, to present that to you as, as something that I'm just coining a contemplative stance, a contemplative stance. And, and, and what, what I mean by that 
is being able to make observations about yourself and the world around you without having to judge those observations, a contemplative stance. And, and one of the things that if you've ever taken this contemplative stance, it's not just buttoning your lip, it's not just sitting on your anger, it's actually taking a look inside of yourself and trying to make observations about what you are feeling and thinking. One of the things you'll notice is that there are other emotions at play than just anger that usually you don't just feel anger and nothing else, but that you're feeling all kinds of other things. Namely, a lot of times, fear, fear. When, when, when somebody says something that sounds really ill-informed to me about, say, COVID-19 and masks and vaccinations and things like that, I actually have a feeling of anger, but also fear. I'm afraid that what that person believes about the world is going to be harmful, is going to be damaging, and I feel afraid. But what we see in our world, and especially in American culture right now, is a denial of the fear. A denial to recognize that we are afraid that way more is outside of our control than we dare ever want to say out loud. And so we try to bypass the fear and just get real angry about it, which in fact, I would like to submit is not really what I want to call anger, but rage. It's rage is a bypassing of feeling that fear that we're not in control. It's, it's a survival tactic. It's, it's something that um, when you see a cornered cat that, can't get away from a dog. The cat hisses and shows its teeth and makes itself look as big as possible, not because it's angry, but because it's afraid and it's raging against a circumstance outside of its control. It's the last ditch effort of survival. So when we begin to take a contemplative stance, we start to be able to look inside of ourselves and examine what is it that we are truly feeling right now? And, and can we just look at what is there? Because when we do that, we can actually begin to see anger as what it is, which is a gift. In, in the beginning of this passage, it says every good and perfect gift is from above. And anger is a gift that we've been given. That's right, a gift. So um, when, when we express anger well, when it's expressed well, it can create some really important circumstances in our life, circumstances that offer reconciliation, that offer us catharsis, and that allow us to compromise. So that's the first thing I want you to hear today is that anger is an important and useful gift. And when we begin to take a contemplative stance of our insides and we look at what we're actually feeling, we can begin to find out what it is that we can do with this anger that we feel, how we can also separate it from things like rage and resentment. They're not the same things. Here's how this has gone wrong in my life and probably many of the rest of us. I want you to imagine that the feelings that you feel are a compass. 
And so you're, you're trying to, to find your way through the world and your feelings are what actually offer you the ability to see where north, south, east, and west are. And what many of us have been taught is that when we see feelings or we hear or experience feelings from other people, that instead of paying attention to our compass, we are supposed to change the things around us to find where we are. So people have managed us and we've managed them when we see feelings by, we hear somebody talk about being sad and we interject and say, but don't you feel happy about this? Don't you have a lot of things to be happy about? Or don't feel sad because you're great at this other thing over here. Or no, you really are good at this thing that you're not good at. Or it's going to work out just fine. We say things in order to try to manage the reality around us instead of sometimes just the appropriate response is grief and mourning or even to celebrate, to be proud of what you've done. And so when we think about our feelings as a compass that can direct us where and how we can move around our life, but we deny that compass, what we end up trying to do is move the signs around, the mountains, the trees, the other people around us to make us feel like we know where we are. When you do that, what are you? What are you when you don't pay attention to the compass and you just move other things around around you? You're lost, right? You're lost. And so many of us have realized that in our lives. We find ourselves lost. I know that's happened to me when I've denied the compass of my feelings. So when we start to feel the other feelings, we run to anger to cut those feelings off, to stop that other person from making us feel uncomfortable. Here's what I've noticed about the way that anger plays out like that in our world right now. Other people are having feelings about things, are having thoughts we disagree with. We're feeling afraid. We're feeling shame. We're feeling guilt. And what we think is the answer is just to get angrier than the other person. This is what so many news cycles, news feeds, even what you do to get hits on Instagram and Twitter and things like that. You just make really angry statements and then you know people are gonna, are gonna respond to it. They're gonna like it. But here's what I wanna say about this. It's when anger goes wrong. When we feel angry, it's because we think there is something wrong. Yeah. That's what anger helps us do. It helps us as a compass. It helps us alert us that we think there's something wrong. But being angry does not make us right, okay? So we feel angry when we think something is wrong, but being angry does not make us right. So, um, you know, we, we've experienced this. We've probably, if you're a parent, you've probably done this at, at different points. But a lot of us grew up that if your caregiver or somebody over you in authority was angry, then they must be right. And the angrier they got, then the more right that they seemed to be. So if you have gotten into that situation, you're looking to other people's outsides to manage how you're feeling inside. 
You're looking to other people's anger response to help you navigate the world instead of your own internal compass. How do we get out of a cycle like that if that's where you found yourself? If you find yourself tiptoeing around everybody else's anger, you can ask yourself, why? You can get back into that contemplative stance. You can start to question what is it that, is, that I'm feeling inside of me right now? Is it, is it anger or is it this, this rage that's denying this fear that's going on? Um, and, and we can begin to look at other things that are commonly confused with anger if that's what you're struggling with. So I wanna, I wanna talk about a few of these, look at a few of these just for a moment to help us think about this contemplative stance of asking why, of doing inventory within ourselves, of seeing what it is that we're feeling and why we might be feeling those things. So um, rage, we've talked about that. It's, it's an impairment of repressed fear. It's when we're afraid of our fear and we move into rage. And you might be saying like, well, what does this have to do with church and spirituality and all these kinds of things, Jamin? Well, fear is our access to faith because fear alerts us to our lack of control of the world around us, our lack of understanding about things that are bigger than us. And if we don't have access to our fear, how can we have access to what fear alerts us to, which is a need for faith? So in a rage-like state, in, in a low-grade, raging world, where is the room for faith? So you can examine yourself and see when and how you might be feeling that. Then there's another thing that gets confused with anger a lot, and that's resentment or uh, the, the fruit of resentment, which is revenge, which is really just an impairment of hurt that we're refusing to feel. See, a lot of the rage right now in our country, in our world, is people feel hurt. And out of anger, they want to be seen, they want to be heard, and there are promises of people that will see them and hear them, but the rage never goes away because it's not with the person they're in close relationship with that these things are happening. And so they end up in resentment and, and in even uh, birthing revenge. So examining ourselves, looking at ourselves, what is it that we're actually feeling? What is the cocktail of feelings? Where is the compass pointing within us can alert us to what we need. And then anger, the definition of anger that I wanna give you is, is when we have a desire to be heard, a desire to change something that we believe is not how things should be. So, The positive aspects of anger then can look as simple as this. I have anger, I have a desire not to have cavities. So I'm gonna take time to brush my teeth. I, I have a desire to be healthy, so I'm gonna use that anger to make sure that I stay in shape. I have a, a, a desire to see people who are being harmed being helped. That's anger. 
So when, when we're able to look at anger more holistically and also separate it from these other things like resentment, like rage, we can begin to get a clearer picture of how anger can be a powerful generative force. It makes things. Your anger actually makes things happen in the world or it can destroy them. So some of you were probably taught that anger is wrong, that you shouldn't be angry, that somebody who is angry, that's an embarrassment. Now, it seems less likely nowadays with all the, every, every other political leader is trying to look as angry as possible, but some of us still have that inner critic, that voice, that what's responsible to do is repress your anger. But these healthy expressions of anger can bring about positive and powerful change in the world. I want to look at two examples of a destructive anger and a productive anger from the scriptures. Really close together in time, actually. The first one comes from Luke chapter 4, verse 24 through 30, and it's on the screen. And uh, what happens here is Jesus is preaching this sermon in his hometown of Nazareth. And people love what he's saying. He, he's saying all the things that really make them feel good. And then all of a sudden, at some point, he turns in the conversation where this starts here, and he starts to tell a story about how in the people's past that he was speaking with, the Jewish people's past, there was a time when God provided for people who were not Jewish and didn't provide for the Jewish people. And the, and the folks got furious when they heard this and they got up and drove him out of the town and tried to throw him off a cliff. So is this an example of healthy anger? <laughs> Obviously not, no. Well, let's take a look at the second passage here. In Mark 3 verses one through six, uh, Jesus is in a synagogue and there's a man with a shriveled hand. And it's a day called the Sabbath when by Jewish law, no work could be done. And uh, the leaders of the time were looking to catch Jesus breaking a law or tradition. And then in verse four here, it says, then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But those leaders remained silent. And then it says in verse five, listen to this, look at this. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Both folks expressing anger in these passages, they look angry. They're emoting, they're bringing anger into the world to try to change what's around them. Maybe this is why anger gets a bad rap. You know, uh, James in this passage here, he says, you know, human anger does not lead to the righteousness that God desires. And so thankfully we have a dude who's more than human who can show us what more than human anger looks like. 
So in the first passage, those people are, are responding out of, out of the rage that they feel. They hear something that offends them and they decide immediately to get online and crucify the person who said it without reflection, to throw, throw them off the cancel cliff or whatever cliff it might be, right? That's kind of how it happens right now in our world. No self-reflection, no contemplative stance. And then we see Jesus looking around angrily with a passion inside of him to see people see the world in such a way where to help others, to reduce harm and hurt in the world is his passion for the anger that he feels. And he's willing to risk a lot to do it. That's, that's one of the ways you can, you can tell the difference. Is this anger gonna be productive or not in your life? Is it something that you have to risk being vulnerable to try to make the world a better place or to let yourself be heard in a way that allows you to look vulnerable to the person that you're sharing it with? See, Jesus knew that his very life was on the line and his anger gave him the courage to do it anyway, to move forward anyway, to do what he could in a world where so much was outside of his control. So, um, you know, I've, I've alluded to it to a, co- a couple of times, but... For me, I I can't get away from the impact of anger and rage in our social media-driven culture. And I wanna address that right now as we move into the last portion of the sermon here with a couple, uh, a quote here that unpacks um, what happens when this anger that we feel gets relocated the action gets relocated from the real world around us, the people that we can interact with. That if I was to say, you know, Jake, what you said, it made me angry. And he could say, well, why? And we can talk about it and we can have a dialogue as, as friends, as people who uh, care about one another to the, the, anybody online where we, we have to go from thinking about why am I angry? What am I feeling? Why do I feel hurt? Why do I feel resentment? Why am I so afraid to just saying, you know what? I'm feeling these uncomfortable feelings. I'm gonna blast it out on the internet, right? Anybody ever done that before in here? Probably none of y'all, right? Never said anything just without thinking out, out on Twitter or whatever. Here's, what it, here's this, uh, this quote from The Real Roots of American Rage by Charles uh, Duhigg in The Atlantic. He says this, on social media, the old rewards of anger, so he's talking about the rewards of anger, recognition of our unhappiness, resolution of our complaints are replaced with new ones, retweets, likes, more followers, more influence. The targets of our rage, meanwhile, tend to be strangers less inclined to hear us out than to fire back. It's a vicious cycle for users. So anger and rage are meant to be impermanent. They're not meant to just last forever. And what we're dealing with right now is a world 
where we are being stoked into anger and rage constantly. And so we don't get the gift of the anger in an actual real relationship with another person when we're willing to recognize the anger and be vulnerable to express it and find some resolution, to find some compromise, to find something worth expressing the anger. Instead, many of us have found ourselves in just a loop of expressing rage and getting no relief or release from it because all we're getting in return is likes and reposts and retweets and doing the same thing for others that bring us that feeling of rage because it helps us escape our fear. Yeah, the echo chamber, exactly. So anger is meant to produce things in the world. It's meant to bring reconciliation, meant to bring catharsis, meant to help us to compromise. So as you reflect on the things that you are angry about, think about, I'm feeling angry about this. What is my purpose for wanting to bring that anger out into the world? You have a limited supply of energy. Anybody out here got uh, an unlimited supply of energy? Some of you are close. I could see a couple people that are close, but I've watched you. You get tired too, right? We got some people, we got somebody uh, very pregnant right now. I bet she's feeling a limited supply of energy right now, right? Unlike the little guy in her tummy. (laughs) Uh, What do we do with it? How do we channel it? What is the time we want to bring it out into the world? First, we take the contemplative stance. We try to examine what is it that's going on inside of us. A lot of times what I have to do is I have to say something stupid or do something stupid in my anger and then reflect on that after the fact. What is my contemplative stance after the fact? Why did I respond that way? Who do I need to apologize to? So all of that is kind of the interpersonal side of it, but I I don't wanna leave this topic and move into communion before addressing the last part of this passage in the book of James. So in chapter 26, he picks up talking about what we do with being slow to speak and angry and those types of things. And he says this in verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and the religion is worthless. Man, if we were to judge the religion of our country, our Christian religion based on that line themselves, we wouldn't be doing very good, would we? We'd be be on a very low amount of currency right now. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So what I love about the book of James is it's really, he's, it's just a really sober book, man. Like he's just, he's just not interested in, in talking uh, around things like this. He's just kind of like going straight the whole time. I, I've heard this passage read a lot of times. I've heard a lot of 
leaders avoid this passage or try to, try to turn it into something else. But it, it's amazing what is actually being said here. He, James is saying like, if, if you think your faith is about running your mouth about the stuff that's pissing you off, man, just hang up the towel. You're, you're, not, you're not bringing anything productive into the world. Now, I already said anger's good. So keep that in mind as, as we're talking about this right now. But he said, that type of religion of somebody that's just talking all the time, it's worthless. But this, if you wanna know what good religion is, pure religion, it's you take care of the people that are vulnerable. Maybe that's what our anger could be used for. Maybe that's, maybe that's why we have access to it so often and so easy to channel that power, to do something where we can, to recognize what's going on inside of us. Here's the thing, you can't do it. You won't be able to do it unless you do what James is talking about earlier, which is being contemplative in your stance, being slow to speak, slow to get angry, to want to get more information about what's going on inside of yourself and how that relates to what's happening in the world. That is the way you will actually have the energy and the perspective that you need to actually practice the type of religion that James is talking about. And I'm thankful to be a part of a church where uh, so many people are engaged in that kind of work. And we've got so much more that we will be doing as we take a contemplative stance, as we temper our outrage and our rage and we focus our anger into a pure, refined religion of caring for those who need care, both inside of the building and without. So as we learn to become slower to speak, we learn how to access the power of fruitful productive anger, we can change this world in a positive way with the help of God as we look to Jesus as our example in that. 